0: Spurs in full cry here. Lavella!
1: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardy. Hello, Bardy. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who has started skip discourse, Nathan A. (laughs) Clark. Hello, Nathan.
2: (laughs) I just thought it was like a funny little moment where he turned around twice, and so I I remembered the time. I looked at the time, and then I went back. And I made a little gif or jiff, and now there are sincere debates at length about every player we've ever had. It was a
1: it was a funny, quirky little moment, that's it. It was a little
2: Scott Parker ish as well, which which a few people picked up on, but I, now that's its also own so you, <laughs> topic so of debate. So you
1: created skip discourse and then yeah. you created Bia discourse. Yeah. And, and now you've created GIF discourse. Is it yeah. GIF, is it GIF? So <laughs> I you don't are care. you're just on one, Nathan, at the moment.
2: Windy, whatever. Spurs are good. officially the the nathan a clark stamp of spurs (laughs) are goods is 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 placed (laughs) and i i hereby declare us a a decent side
1: okay looking forward to getting into that (laughs) before we do goodness me boys it's been a busy week on patreon bardi you've been advent calendaring it up
3: Yeah, I just got a little I saw a load of posts come out for first of December. Spurs did it, celebrating like big goals and it was just like there's there's a lot of goals out there that don't get the credit that they, they should that they deserve. So um I've just been going through the the records and finding those little nugget goals that I really like and no one seems to talk about anymore and every day you'll get a little bit of um little bit of my view on it and I'll share a nice little um YouTube link or, or Daily Motion who seems Daily Motion seems to have a lot of content um but yeah so that's it look forward to that every day in your inbox if you've got your notifications on
1: Little Nicky Barnby heading in from the edge of the box
3: I mean in in my memory it was 18 y- yards out I thought he was miles away from the box and then when I eventually found it it was just inside but a beautiful header it was and Nicky Bambi. he's a player we don't talk a lot mm. about but he was incredible when he played a lot of games and scored a lot of goals
1: Yeah he was um he was like a really exciting young player at Spurs uh he he left like on the cusp of him Going up a level, like he, I think he just maybe he just made his England debut when he left yep. us. Well, um, he went
3: to Euro '96 as well. Yes, that's that. right. He was just, he was with Spurs when he went there, and then um, it was his wife got homesick, and yeah, he, he ended, we ended up selling him for quite a lot of money back then to uh, to Middlesbrough, and he went on to have a pretty good career and a lot of England caps. Uh, a lot of um, he's remembered pretty well at Liverpool, not so much at Everton. But uh,
1: yeah, one one of the few players to ever move from. Or between the motorcycle clubs, he went from Everton to Liverpool. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of really incredible goals that are scored by like the losing side or the team who have like a disappointing draw and they just just vanish into the other forever. So yeah. I, I imagine you've got quite a few of them queuing up. And I think it's like, yeah, I think it's probably worse now because no one wants to like receive a hundred yeah, but we lost replies or yeah, but you lost because <laughs> so it's like it's hard to talk about. So mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair. Uh the Mella's in the yep. r- the short list for, for a a goal. In, yeah, for the Pusscast. So at least there's that one. But uh for the most part, if you if you lose the game, it doesn't matter how good your goal was, it, it it's forgotten by next week.
3: Yeah, and the interesting thing is I go looking for a particular goal that I have in my mind and then I end up finding something else and it's it's opening up a whole little world to Spurs that I've, that I've just forgotten <laughs> about. So it's, it's really nice that like, who knew Gary Mabbott was a center midfielder? I had no... Couldn't remember that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's nice to go back through the through the history books.
1: Lovely stuff. And I recorded um, uh, another episode with Alex Stoyle who's who's our friend now and sports ecologist. I think he's absolutely brilliant at what he does. I think... Um, it's some of my favourite extra inch content. The, the conversations I've had with Alex, it's it's detailed stuff. It's if you're interested in sports psychology, it's uh, it's brilliant. Um, it will be out on the main feed, but we wanted to give our ex subs a little treat, so they had it a week early, and, and we'll do that with um, quite a bit of content going forward. Uh, so, so if you want your content early, you know, as I've been saying, put your put your Patreon subscription on your Christmas list. Actually, a few people have got in touch and said they're going to buy Patreon subs for their friends for Christmas. Unfortunately, it's not possible. I don't think Patreon make it possible for you to gift a subscription. It's so they'll difficult. have to sign up yes. and then you'll have to refund them. But yeah, give them an IOU. It's a, it's a nice gesture. <laughs> Just a, a quick shout out. We've got a couple of really lovely DMs in the last couple of weeks. So I wanted to give shout outs to uh, Jeremy Kinsella and Mark Yates. Really appreciate the messages you sent. Really lovely. And also a shout out to our friend Elliot, who's uh, one of our ex-subs um who he and his partner have just had a, a a baby and um everything's going well so far very happy for them Elliot's a lovely person uh and, and Bardi uh you have attracted some some anger <laughs> from listeners about your disrespect for uh Pierre-Emil Apologize. i
3: Apologize. Mean, I attracted quite a lot of anger and some fans as well last week with some of my takes. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was interesting reading Reddit and um, who knew I was, I was just a guy that you could find in a pub shouting around, which is probably, I've never marketed myself as anything else. I'm just a guy in the pub who knows a bit about Italian football and some history. Yeah, So yeah, they're right.
1: You're not going to apologise for your your takes then?
3: No, no, we'll talk Huobiere later. But I don't apologise, I'm here to give takes. And if you like my take, then good. If you don't, then excellent. But if keep downloading, keep listening. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: So, we beat Norwich 3-0. Um 3-0 sounds very 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 comprehensive, very comfortable. I don't know if that was quite the way I would describe that match. Um but Nathan, you think we're we think we're good now, so let's start with you.
2: Uh well I think Brentford are a decent side. Uh they're coming up second, okay, sweet. <laughs> um Norwich maybe not so much, but like yeah. Yeah, I think we're I I felt a s I felt a sincere um not like excitement but like a sense of relief after the Brentford game. Yes. Um that has carried through the Norwich one that okay. is just like, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm not um not quite feeling that quite so much, but um we'll get into it. Um Bardy, interesting team selection. So the only change, as it turned out, Tanganga coming in for Emerson Real, who was unwell. What did you make of that decision?
3: I mean, I thought it was a pretty brave decision to do. We know Tanganga's faults. So I thought perhaps maybe Tanganga would start in front of Sanchez, but I never thought Tanganga would play as a right <laughs> wing back. And his his failings as as a as a footballer. He's a very good footballer, but he's just not suited to play that role. And it kind of it kind of bore out that he's just not that player. And it, it did cost us, and I think a lot of our fluidity did come from his unwillingness to to push forward when we needed to create the space on that side. And it, it wasn't the best game for him. And, but what I quite liked about it was Conte's pro, uh, proactive measures, and you could see there was one ball that they played inside. I think Ida missed a chance. And Conte immediately reacted, and he just thought, "Yeah, this is not this is not going to happen." I don't know if they showed this on TV, but he he waved his hands around and immediately got Doherty to warm up because yeah, Tanganga just wasn't able to, to mm. play that role properly. Yeah, I um,
1: this is going to sound so negative, and I, I don't I don't want to be negative. Get him. No, 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 no. It's um. So I, I want to make it very clear. I'm so optimistic about Spurs at the moment. I'm like, I am utterly convinced we're finishing top four. Like, I strongly believe that we've got a huge chance to finish in the top four. I think we will do it. I think Conte is a top class manager. I'm very excited. I think, as I've always said, I think our players are good. And I think Conte will make them good. And I think we're going to be a very strong team in the next 18 months. Uh, I, I was a bit annoyed at the team selection, to be honest. Um, I, I felt like this was a great opportunity to rotate a bit, to sort of um, rest some key players ahead of Thursday. I think the Ren game is important. If you want to stay in the competition, at least it's important. Uh, and I don't want our key players playing three games in the space of a week. I think that's too much, particularly with the hectic Christmas schedule. So I was thinking, okay, well, let's give, um, let's give Winks another run out. Let's give Bergvine a go. Let's, um, like Bardi was saying, I, I thought maybe Tanganga would come in for Sanchez. Uh, I thought there'd be some freshening up. And when it was just the one change and it was an enforced change, I was a bit like, hmm, this feels super, super risky to me. And then I found out that Regulon had hurt his hamstring in the warm up and I was like, what the hell are we doing? Why is Regulon out there if he's hurt himself, if he's felt something in the warm up, why is he out there? And then lo and behold, Regulon gets injured and you're like, Oh for God's sake, Spurs, grow up, what are you doing? You've got Cessina on the bench, he's he's perfectly adequate, he can he can fill in here, he can do a job. Really frustrating to me. Um and yeah, like great, absolutely brilliant result. 3 0 against Norwich, lovely stuff got the job done uh, but I was a little bit put out by the team selection I must admit
3: I mean I think I think the team selection was fine I didn't know about the Region um injury but I thought we we couldn't really afford to, to mix things up in this game. Um, our rivals around us had all picked up points. It was an opportunity to, to put some space between us and Arsenal with them playing tonight. And I, d- I don't think Bergvine should have started. I thought this was the right team to go with. This is the important match. Now we rest Kane against Rennes and we see what happens. If that team gets through, it gets through. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. So be it. I want to win the Conference League, but I'd rather finish in the top four. So I think he it, it was right to prioritise this match, even if it was Norwich.
1: That's it though, isn't it? That's um, You You've exactly summed up the conundrum. It's like, we do that against Norwich and we do risk going out on Thursday. I mean, because we're going to have to rotate on Thursday. We're just going to have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the, the the decision is, are you happy with that risk? Are you happy with a level of risk of, of rotating Thursday and potentially going out of the Europa Conference League? Nathan, how do you feel about it?
2: Uh, I don't have enormously strong feelings about the Europa Conference League. Like, yes, we we sort of had an opportunity to walk it and we've, we've not, we've, we've crawled it. <laughs> like, um, I get it's still alive. It's still possible. Um, I don't know. I think there's like a bigger thing where it's like, um, Conte is largely achieving the football he wants to achieve with our sort of safe, secure, limited, like technically limited options because he clearly favors, um, like following instruction over like individual creativity, right? He's playing essentially the team he has from the start and the team that is like the one that got Nuno far ahead, right? He's Nuno was a was a manager who like didn't bring much in the way of creative structure, was therefore reliant on individual talent, but played, you know, Hoybier and <laughs> Skip together over yeah. the fields. And, and got himself sacked because of that, because there was just nothing happening in attack. Conde has the ability to make those same players create chances through the patterns and combinations that are drilled into them. So then it's like, um, there's still a level above that that we can achieve in terms of our creativity, and it's like how when and how you go about bringing in you know and Celso, um Bergvine for Lucas or Delhi or whatever into to, into the combination to sort of experiment and it's like I don't know maybe he maybe maybe we'll just never see those players and we're gonna lose you know our our much maligned <laughs> faves. um but like, I don't know, when it was, when it was Mourinho and when it was Nuno, I was like, for God's sake, you idiots, you, you have no creative structure, you need to play these players, you're not doing it. And now it's Conte, it's like, Thank you, sir, for everything you've achieved. I'm on my knees. My, my forehead is pressed against the hard, cold floor and I'm saying, would you be so kind? <laughs> <laughs> would you be so kind to just, just a little bit? When it's convenient for you, just try a little bit of creative play here and there. That's kind of where I'm at with 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 Conte and his selections. Obviously, there's an enormous, an absurd, and a dangerous amount of football to be played, and so there needs to be rotation there. But it's like, let's not fall into the trap that we have so far. We have the A team and the B team, and the B team aren't used to playing with each other because they play with each other once every three weeks, and they feel like the B team, and and it's, and so on. And Sanchez plays on the left. We can't see Sanchez on the left again. Oh my god.
1: But that's what he's leading towards on Thursday. That's what he's gonna do. And like, not just Thursday, because we've now got two Premier League games a week pretty much for the next period so like there's going to be some a team b team stuff if he doesn't start rotating and that's why i was a bit put out by the team selection yeah
2: so you you wanted to see sort of one or two changes yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly exactly and 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 would have been one of them especially knowing that he had had a knock that he picked up in the um in the warm-up um let's let's talk about happier things lucas's goal was absolute magic um not just the strike the strike is brilliant like it, there's, there's no backlift. He just absolutely thumps it past the keeper before he can move. Pretty much top bins, beautiful stuff. But it's the little, it's the bit of footwork beforehand that makes it all the more magic. Barty, talk us through it.
3: Yeah, it's the appreciation of all the bits of it. So the crowd, when he did his first touch, because at that point we were under a little bit of pressure, we hadn't seen much, and he does a lovely bit of skill and the, and the crowd go, ooh, like, oh, yeah, that's good. And then there's a the quick layoff and the crowd go, oh, yeah, it's even better. And then it drops back to him and that's where you think it's going to end, but it doesn't end. It continues like occasionally it does for Lucas. And then he touches, it touches, and then he just lets go and it just swazzes into the top corner. like, And the whole crowd, because we've had that... St- uh, that slow kind of build, build, build to that moment it just went bang. It was it was a brilliant goal. It's one of the I think it's probably one of the best goals um, that I've seen at at the new White Hart Lane. Obviously, Sun's solo goal was probably the best one, but even that there wasn't the kind of slow build up. It was just Sun running at a hundred miles an hour past a load of binmen. But this was this was a lovely, this was a lovely goal, and um, uh, one of those moments that you feel privileged to be there and see it because yeah, the trajectory on it was was fantastic.
1: Really, really special goal. Super, super um, enjoyable moment for for, for the crowd. Um, Hoverdonkey says, Can you put your finger on why Lucas is given such a hard time? Aaron Lennon is widely revered by fans. He was quick, direct, and frustrating, just like Lucas. And yet, for all his faults, Lucas has produced far more end product than Lennon ever did not least a flipping Champions League final hat-trick, a semi-final hat-trick, I think he means, and yet is reviled by a large section of the fan base who just want him gone. I'm just as guilty. I've always been of the opinion that he needs to leave, but I think he's due a whole lot more respect from us fans. I'm just keen to know if it's a nationality thing or if he's just a victim of playing for us when our sights are set a lot higher than when Lennon was slipping down the wing. Nathan, why don't you... uh God, Nathan, put some respect on Lucas's name.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do instead is upset a loss of Spurs fans and say Aaron Lennon wasn't very good and we should have like done more I agree with... I agree <laughs> yeah.
3: there's a lot of revisionism I love goes him on... I loved Aaron Lennon but yeah. he, he's but there's a lot of revisionism yeah. we look he... back at Aaron Lennon like we did with Carl Walker but at the time we we gave Lennon a lot of abuse probably just as much abuse as Lucas gets
1: yeah yeah Lennon like sat you back down in your seat as quick as he got you off it I mean mm-hmm. just like the Emperor product was, was awful um, a lot of the time and he couldn't strike a ball properly like in the same way that daily gets criticism for not being able to just strike a football properly Aaron Aaron Lennon just like P-rollers or nothing um this was Lucas's first goal since February I think that's probably why he gets given such a hard time like the productivity is so erratic um the thing you know you get with Lucas always is hard running. He's he's very committed. He's he's incredibly fit. And we shouldn't overlook that, by the way. It's great that he's no. available all the time. It's very helpful from for a player in our squad to be consistently available, very, very rarely injured. Um, he's a hard worker. He's brilliant in the air. He's got quick feet. I'm struggling for more words, you know. Because he's capable
2: of goals like that, you know. Mm. He is. He's not gonna, he's not gonna turn them around frequently, but he has that ability, and that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the Aaron Lennon thing. Is like Lennon was, like if he'd fi- found, maybe if he had better coaches, but if he'd found more ways to to apply the skills that he had, he could have been a phenomenal player, and that's why we have a sort of a good memory of him because we remember his ability and that's why he was persistent feature in the team for a long time. It's because mm-hmm. you knew any moment now Lennon could really start like scoring an assistant loads of goals. But of course that wasn't actually ever going to happen because of the coaches that we had and the setup that we had and his inability to sort of turn his, his ability, his speed, his turn of direction into product because that is its own thing after the fact.
1: For sure. I mean, Lennon was a defensive winger as much as anything. He was very, well, very yeah, good at covering his fullback. I mean, he, he had his uses, Lennon. He, he even yes. when he wasn't scoring and assisting, he was stretching the pitch fantastically. He, he created space for others through his ability to to drag defenders out. Um, And he was not a bad player by any stretch. He just obviously wasn't, you know, he wouldn't be anywhere near our squad now. Like even Pete Lennon, I don't think would be anywhere near our squad now. We've gone up a level. Um, And as much as I've criticized Lucas Moura, I think he's a better player than Aaron Lennon. I just do.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think Lennon was also part of... He was in a system that just didn't have any kind of structure to it. It was get the ball to these guys and see what they can do and see what they can muster up. True. And I think had Lucas been in that team, then we would be looking back at Lucas yeah. in the same kind of fond way because that's what they are. They're players that turn on a bit of inspiration and, and something might happen. And even though Lucas doesn't always create something, there's always that hope when he gets the ball that he might do something. And that's, and that's what Lennon had. Although Lennon did... Whenever Lennon scored, we never lost that game. She had, that was quite a remark record
1: yeah yeah.
3: But I do think the, the fault that I have with Lucas is in a system which is really structured and really he has a he has a role to play in a significant role, he is a little bit loose on his first touch occasionally. He doesn't always pick the right pass. He doesn't always move into the right space. And when you're playing a very mechanical system, you, you can't have these kind of um, live wires. You, need, you do need someone who can play that role a bit better. And I think that's also the problem with Son at the moment. It's great that he's scoring goals and, and creating stuff in the final third, but I do think his link-up play is a little bit weak at the moment.
1: I was going to make that exact point, Bardi, about Son. I think um
3: he had a poor game in my opinion. He it masked by the fact that he scored some goals and again against Brentford but I thought he was a bit weak.
1: It's an interesting discussion point. So I I agree. I think I think Son is struggling to adapt to this 3-4-3 if I'm completely yeah. honest and all of the good things he's doing are where he's not in the positions you'd expect him to be in the 3-4-3. Like so so Son, let's just touch on Brentford briefly. The the goal that Son scored against Brentford was fabulous. Pure Conte. Yeah. Like really, really nice layoff from Son uh and then burst into the box to get on the end of a cross. Fantastic. Um but so he was in even in that situation, he was like briefly out of position. He was like as the he was playing as the nine temporarily in that situation um when he's kind of being asked as the ball near number 10 to to come and show for the ball and have his back to goal i think he's struggling and i think lucas is doing a better job than son at that part of the conte instructional play Definitely. Uh, uh, the other part of it like making the runs in behind i think son has is is good and is absolutely fine but um he either needs to develop his game or i think we will move eventually to the 352 system, which I think will suit Son better because he won't be asked to constantly come deep for the ball and and receive in positions that he doesn't look or feel comfortable in. And Bardi's right. I mean, Lucas, was it in the Leeds game maybe where he had a lot of loose touches when he was coming to receive um, and was kind of giving the ball away in dangerous areas? I feel like he's definitely tightened up since then. I feel like he's really focused on, okay, I can't take too heavy a touch here. I've got to get it into my feet and get it out again quickly. and, And he's done well since then. Um but like it's the lack of it's the lack of goal threat of Lucas I mean it sounds ironic because he's just scored a fantastic goal but the fact that it's his first league goal since February I think speaks volumes and he has to be a player he has to be one of the players we look to upgrade in the 11 as soon as possible but as I said as I said many times before very happy to have Lucas on our bench because he's a he's a, a genuine option and um against tired legs he's a fantastic option anything you'd like to add on that?
3: No, no, I agree with it, all
1: of that stuff. Um, Bardi, I know you want to talk about Davinson Sanchez in this, um, thought- this Norwich game. <laughs>
3: I thought I thought Sanchez really stepped up. He had a he's had a hard time and I've gone after him. we've all gone after him. There hasn't there's not a Spurs sign that hasn't had a swing at Dave. And I just thought I just thought he had a, a really kind of calm and composed game. And his reaction to scoring that goal knows that he he's he knows what's been going on and he senses that. And when he whacked that in, his um his celebrate his lack of celebration was quite telling. And I thought he had a decent game. He, oh, of course, caveats, he wasn't up against much, but then he wasn't up against much against Mora and he was slipping all over the place. Hmm. Um I'm happy with how he performs and I I want to see him keep playing there. Let's let's have a little bit of faith in him and hope he can do something. He's not the long term answer, but right now I think he's he's ahead of Tanganga, rightfully so. And um I want to see a little bit more from him. His passing was a bit better. Of course it's not incredible but he was hampered by having Tanganga as his as his kind of outball.
2: I was happy for him that he scored the goal. I I liked him doing the big sort of tough guy (laughs) no celebration chest bump thing that's very fun and like yeah i he he, i think he's had a hard time uh for a long time i think he's had a lot of criticism obviously from us as well of course um i think the the murray game was an absolute nightmare for him so i'm like i'm happy for him but i still think like even in this game he like made a number of defensive mistakes and yeah um I don't know. I I I like him, I find him likable as a person. I'm always very sympathetic towards him. And I recognise that his, his recovery pace is, is significant and 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 might be why he's, you know, getting as much game time as he is. The other reason being we don't have that many centre backs and we're playing three of them at a time.
3: Yeah, he's he's a he's a lovely man. I have that in good authority. He's a lovely man. He's got a couple of young kids, so he's adjusting to everything else. And he did make a couple of really good recovery tackles and sure. covered off of some covered off some attacks. And I think we we go after Davinson quite a lot. And I just think today, let's just give him a little bit of respect. And say, okay. well done, Dave. That was a lovely goal. And do- sh- sh- should I not say what I was going to say then? Go, on, <laughs> go do it. I swung the bat last week. You swing it this week, mate. It's
1: it's it's um. So Nathan mentioned he, he made a couple of defensive errors. It's not even yeah. that that bothers me. It's it's the lack of ability on the ball again. That's um,
3: but that's that's what you got to do. That's that's him. That, yeah, you've got no other. Op- no other option. Though. That's
1: him. But that's why he wouldn't be in my team. So so I would I would have played Tanganga at right centre back and and someone like Bergvine at right wing back uh, with or Daoti. You know, I, I think Tanganga and Daoti is better than Sanchez and Tanganga in those positions. Um, I I think I think it's more interesting in relation to the Brentford game because like all of our good attacks came down the left when Davis was being really brave and playing good passes, risky passes, and you know, they weren't all successful, but he was playing a lot of effective passes through to Regadon, whereas Sanchez was just unable to find Emerson Royal, like and unwilling to find him and he doesn't want to pass to him, but he also doesn't want to carry the ball forward. He's just so awkward in possession. And then this, I think the same was true in the Norwich game. And like I do take Bardi's point that it's more difficult when Tanganga's the wing back because he's not offering as much and he's not as far forward because he's naturally more cautious. But Sanchez just is so limited in possession. it's It's painful. It's like such an easy upgrade for us. Um, replacing him in the squad with a, a better ball-playing centre-back, but you know Romero's one. out.
3: There isn't one, but there isn't one. I don't, I don't think Tanganga is a, a is a massive improvement. I, he, I think he, he, he's is a not, better defender.
1: He, he's not a massive improvement, but I think he's a much better ball carrier and a little bit of a better passer.
3: We don't know. I don't think so, but maybe. I, I mean, now we're arguing over the this, this yeah. slight difference. between Yeah, it. So no, I, I, get, it. I, I, I think, get it. I think Davinson's strengths um, outweigh the... a uh, 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 bigger strengths than, than Tanganga's. So Tanganga's maybe a four out of five in passing, and Sanchez is like a three. It's not a huge difference.
1: I get it. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not... I'm not for a second going to say that I think Tanganga is a long-term solution to this system because no, I don't, think, I don't so. think he is, and I think he'll be gone within a year, and I'm not unhappy about that. Like as much as I love Tanganga, I think now we've got Conte. No room for sentimentality. Let's 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 go win the league in a couple of years. Just you know why not? Let's let's bring in a proper ball-playing centre back and and make things happen with one of the best managers in the world. I never um, thought
3: I'd see you bin off sentimentality, Wendy. Just like done, get rid of the youth, get rid of him. Grown up well, here it doesn't matter. Get well, rid-
1: I, I think he's got a great career ahead of him, but just not for a Conte team. I, I really think Tanganga will be an excellent Premier League centre back for for many teams. I think he'd fit in very well, but not for one that wants to play out from the back. He's just not. He's not suited. And the same for Davinson Sanchez. Like not a bad player by any stretch, but just not suited to the system. Like such easy upgrades in January. These players. I'd like to see him have a look at Roden and work out whether he thinks Roden is capable enough of uh, playing out from the back. He seemed to speak very well of him actually um, in one of his press conferences recently. So, so we shall see. He'll probably play Thursday. I'd have thought. Um, but yeah, um, I wasn't. I wasn't. Wasn't about Sanchez in this game, even though he didn't make any catastrophic errors. I, I did think we were a bit lucky, Nathan, not to concede to Norwich. We gave up some decent chances. The the obvious one was the Pookie. Chance from the Adamida cutback,
2: the one right at the beginning. Yeah, there were there were two other strong ones that so the total they totaled a little over one expected goal. So maybe we were, we were lucky not to concede.
1: And we're a shade under two,
2: and we're a shade under two from which we scored three. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's still like it, <laughs> there are still imperfections in our defensive system, but I thought that it was a good performance and obviously Norwich aren't great okay now you're talking about giving up three decent chances to a not great side but I'm still still really quite happy with that performance and the one before.
1: Interesting how did you feel about um, Norwich completely dominating possession against us at home?
2: Yeah this was really interesting for me so like Spurs not having a dominating share of the ball has been like a big deal for me for a long time and I just didn't feel that way about this game I felt I think mainly because, like, when we do have the ball, we have a plan with it. We're incisive with it, whether that is a direct attack or something slower. Um, and also more than that, like, when we're not having the ball, we were really limiting where Norwich could have it, right? We were not just allowing them to get through to midfield and shell the ball out of our box over and over again. We were keeping them, we were keeping the ball with their centre backs and not allowing them to find Billy Gilmore, who was their sort of lone midfielder in build up. For the majority of the time, so like yeah, I don't know i i I said a lot of uh, like sort of big concepts things last season about how like you can't expect to to play in the modern game and have so little of the ball, but like you you can <laughs> you can if you have like a plan. When you have the ball and you can, if you are more aggressive and front footed in your defending and closing off options into midfield. Um, Yeah, I was, I was really happy with the performance. I felt like we controlled the game throughout, even if we didn't have the ball at the time. So I, I have to talk, I have to walk back a little bit of some of the stuff that I said, Um, but mainly it's like, if you're, if you're coaching possession, you can do what you want.
1: I think I think you make a really good point, though, that a lot of the possession was with their centre-backs. I mean, yeah. a couple of their centre-backs made over 100 passes.
2: So the beginning of the game, we, were, we closed them down the centre-back line a lot, and we closed down the goalkeeper a fair bit. And then once we were a goal or two goals up, we then set off and said, you can have the ball there because you're not doing anything with it.
3: I mean, it's quite bizarre. I didn't realise until... I got home and saw the stats and then read about yeah, it same. that we, we had that little possession because it never felt like that. You know, when, exactly. when your position has 60% of the, of the ball, you, you, you feel it. And it's just like, this is this is tough. This is stressful. They're pushing us back. But it just felt pretty much in control. And yeah, yeah it, it doesn't surprise me that their centre-backs clocked up 100 passes between them. We, we seemed quite happy to let Grant Hanley have it. I mean, he's not, he's not Bonucci. He's not going to ping the ball <laughs> anywhere. And that was it. Just yeah. let them have the ball. And it was one of those that they were weren't good enough to hurt us.
1: It was mostly pretty benign
2: stuff, wasn't it? When they
3: yeah, never fell like,
2: under yeah. the weather from them. Like again, they did have those three good chances, but those three good chances came from like fairly fast attacks, where it's like, oh, we slipped up, we made a mistake on the way. It's not like a continued series where like, oh god, we're under it, we're under it, we're under it, and it's going on for 10-15 minutes. It was like they barely had the ball in our half, so they might have had the ball, but like Buddy said, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like they had a 60-40 share of the ball at all. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. The, what I'm concerned about is the ball over the top we were, we were pretty they're pretty vulnerable to it they would just chip the ball over the top and turn our back free. and um i'm not sure against a better team with better forwards i think we might have found ourselves in, in some trouble there that's a, it's definitely a weakness there. i don't know whether it's the back line i don't know whether it's the midfield or the forwards not pressing the ball enough but i think if we play against liverpool and their fullback start pinging the ball over the top to salo and Mane, we might be in trouble
1: I think it's tiredness. I, I thought um, there was a, a, a feeling of tired legs in this game. They, they ran a lot of hard yards, um, but not in the kind of intense way. I think we ran against Brentford. Um, it looked it looked quite sort of lethargic to me. And you're right; a, a better team would have punished us perhaps a bit more. But but luckily, Norwich had. Uh, a misfiring front line. Uh, Adamida is not a bad player, but he's not ready for Premier League football yet. And Josh Sargent, who came on, is just such a bad striker. He's so bad. Yeah,
3: <laughs> they're some terrible players. Yeah, <laughs> I know we've, we've been linked with Max Ahrens, and he was his usual Max Aaron's kind of self. I've seen him a couple of times now play for Norwich against us, and he's he's not he's not bad.
1: Not into him. I think not bad. the better of him. Yeah, yeah. We should probably talk about Cessonion. Um, an unexpected appearance from Sessnion because, you know, having with Regulon having been picked, you kind of thought, OK, well, Sessnion is not going to get his Premier League chance. And then suddenly 20 minutes in, he's on. And I thought he um, he asserted himself pretty well. What did you make of it, Bardi?
3: Yeah, he really grew into the game. He had a lot of support um, from the crowd. That's good to hear. Nice I'm, pl- I'm pleased yeah, to hear that. They were very um, supportive of him. They They were willing him on to attack. And it wasn't that kind of like, oh, just do something. They were, yeah, if he tried something, even if it didn't come off, they were very appreciative of his efforts. And I, I thought he had a solid game and he mm-hmm. whipped in a few crosses. And he's an he's an excellent understudy for Reguilón. And I think the two of yeah. them could be a really good rotation, yeah. rotation left wing back. Yeah, it's exciting.
1: So. Uh, Blankey says, since Conte has taken over, it's definitely lifted the team and the fan base. But to play devil's advocate, could it be that it's just the run of teams from the bottom of the league How will these tactics hold up against better top half of the table teams? What do you think, Nathan? Is it simply that uh, Conte's been lucky with the the first few fixtures?
2: A little bit, although I suspect there's also a little bit of planning going on there. Um, But I think... That we're good. I think. I think that Brentford are pretty decent. So Brentford are uh sixth in expected goal difference. They are fifth in expected points. So I think they're a decent side. Norwich, on the other hand, are bottom of both, like dead last. So they're like they're not a great side. But where is no? I, I, um uh, leads on expected goal difference. Leeds are what's this? Uh, eighteen six 16, sixteenth, fourteenth, okay, fourteenth, okay. 14th. fourteenth. 14th. Yeah. So um. I don't know. Yes, we have an easy run, but um, half the time you're playing teams from the bottom half of the table. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm not. I don't think that we're like we'll go toe to toe well with Liverpool right now. You know, and and I'm, but I don't think that you have to to be one of the better sides in the league. I think that being a side who can consistently turn over home and away the bottom 10 teams in the league is like the basis of being a good side. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is a place we haven't been for a Mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. So when I say, I think we're good. I don't think that we're like, we're back to our peak or that we can contend with like the top two. Um, but I, or, or there aren't issues within our team, our first 11 or our squads or whatever. Yes. There's still definitely some way to go. Um, but I think that we are good in a way we haven't been for a long time.
1: Me too. Me too. I feel very secure. I think the system um, suits a lot of the players. So the only hmm, the only concerning thing is this Emerson Real absence uh, because it highlights how little depth we have at right wing back. I mean, Doherty's just <laughs> so bad. Um, and also just not sharp at all. Like just so the okay. he did. He did okay. He did
3: okay. He um helped create a chance. He did all right. He's he's better right wing back than Tanganga, but you'd kind of expect that. That's his impression. <laughs> wow.
2: <Yeah. laughs>
3: so um yeah. So he did okay. And I if Emerson isn't fit for the next match against um well he he won't. I don't think he will be. I I think we need to play Doherty against Rens, and we're playing against Brighton.
2: So um he was out with illness. Yes. And- and Tony, who we played a few days ago, was mm. confirmed to have coronavirus. So that is a little suspicious, in my opinion.
1: Yes. And Brian Heal was also out with illness. Uh, also
2: out with illness. Yeah. So I Spurs am a little curious. Spurs have been announcing
1: the uh, the mm. COVID sufferers. So it does look likely that perhaps... Yeah, I don't want to speculate really about their health, but okay, yeah. it's, 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 it's not looking great, is it? Yeah. Um, uh bardi asks uh, is ben davis the goat uh that's Bardy who who's here he's right here and um, there's bardi <laughs> who's on the podcast he's the one asking them. he's the one asking and uh, bardi what do you think of bardi's question is ben davis the goat
3: well it was for it was for x subs to uh, to get excited about <laughs> i mean i think ben davis is incredible i've, I've never i've never had a turnaround <laughs> He nearly like
1: made me spit water you
3: know? <laughs> i haven't had a turnaround for a play like this ever in my life he Ben Davies is this boiled chicken left back, who who is not a very good left back. But all of a sudden, all his weaknesses are just hidden by playing this aggressive left sided um, centre back, who who goes and wins the ball, who's pretty good with his passing, who wanders into the opposition area, skips past players like no one else can do, and then lays it off for Son to finish. It's just like, with his right foot. It, with his right foot, it's a madness what's happened to Ben Davies, and it, it's great, and it gives me so much joy to see what's happened with. Um, to see what's happened with him and how he's just grown under content. Who knows? Maybe this was always, maybe this was the player that was always there, but uh, it's brilliant to see. And I'm all on board this Ben Davies hype train. It's brilliant to watch. And it makes me feel warm and fizzy, Windy. Nice.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter
1: how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Nathan uh, Rich asks: uh, There's a lot of love for the Welsh Maldini at the moment, and rightfully so. But can you talk through the tactical reasons why he suddenly looks a far more dangerous attacking threat from left centre back than he ever has as a left full back or wing back? It seems counterintuitive, but maybe something to do with popping up in less expected
2: central areas and actually being quite tidy on the ball. Pretty much, I think. I mean, like, I didn't, I, I didn't think Davies would do this well. I, I, I've been saying, you know, he's one of the weaker members of our first eleven. <laughs> Um I thought that, as a player, he'd been winding down for a couple of seasons, um and obviously like spurs have wound down for a couple of seasons, of course, but it's like i i thought I thought he was under celebrated at his best um, massively i've I've had some time for him i've i've always been appreciative of his sort of infield passing game, which again is something that is magnified here and relevant to the question. Um, but I didn't think he would do this well. Now, obviously, there's a thing where it's like um, full backs peak younger than center backs. And if he's a center back now, that's not actually how things work. If, if he's playing center back now, then um, then it kind of makes sense for him to sort of have a bit more spring to his game and look a bit younger. Um but yeah, I didn't think he'd do this well. This is it's really, really suiting him. So the specifics of the question are like, why does he look more dangerous on the lapping than overlapping? I think it's because he has quite a weak crossing game. He anytime he passes the ball with considerable distance, um, I don't think he has the accuracy or the power. He doesn't tend to lift the ball up off the ground very much. Um, but his like his ground passing is quite strong, quite creative, like really quite creative for a for a full back slash centre back, I guess. Um you combine that with sort of the mobility you expect from a from a from a fullback and he can underlap into this areas. And then yes, correct to the question is that it's sort of it's a little unexpected, right? No you're not preparing or teams aren't so far preparing very well for the the attacking wide centre back. Um so yeah, it's it's really maximizing his talents. Um I don't know, I think that like like we talked about the previous question about like, hey, Norwich aren't very good, so calm down. It's like a team will come along and put their target man on Ben Davies in the near future. Um, a bit like um, us targeting the cross against Aspilacuta and getting Delhi from Ericsson in that spot, like that will happen to us. Um, but that doesn't make it overall like <laughs> forget all of the good stuff, you know. So I've been really impressed. I've been really impressed, but I've been surprised.
1: It's funny you mentioned Aspilacuta. I was going to mention him too, uh, a fullback who, as he got older, moved to centre outside centre back under Conte, actually, and Mm. excelled, and that's Davis. um, So in in the Conte centre-back system, the outside centre-back essentially plays as equivalent to what Mourinho's more defensive full-back was like. (laughs) Sure, yeah. They're a little bit more inside, but not much, um, and they're being asked to move a lot. So Davis ran, I think Davis and Sanchez both ran over 11 kilometres in the Norwich game. Which kind of shows you just how much up and down activity there is. And it's partly because as a team, we are moving up and like when we've got possession, we've got sustained possession, the defense are moving high. Um, so there's naturally some sort of back and forth movement, but they're also supporting the attack and they're asked to, to um, join the attack. And there's a, there's a word that Rich uses in his question, um, popping up. He uses, and I think that's exactly it with davis Yeah, later He's writing. um, he's not very good when he's on the outside and he's got to beat a man with a trick yeah. or with pace. He can play one two sometimes and and running behind. He's not too bad at that. But what he's very good at is being the third third man joining the attack, making that third man run sometimes a give and go. But like arriving in the box when there are other players to to work off. Uh, he doesn't need to speed past anyone. He just needs to be there and be in the right place at the right time. He's he's pretty good at that and always has been. He's always been a good player for underlapping runs. Always been good, as Nathan says, with the sort of creative inside passing. So when you put all these skills together, it adds up to a pretty successful outside centre-back. And he's played that role for Wales for many years. So it's not like it's it's come as a, a shock. This is something he's accustomed to doing. So perhaps when, um, p- perhaps we should have always been a little bit more um, accepting open minded. and open-minded about Davis and just said, oh, well, clearly we need to play through at the back system to get the best out of him. Because all the elements are there for him to be a successful left-sided centre-back. Having said all of this, I still think if we can get in a top, top quality left-sided centre-back and upgrade Davis, then that will be wonderful. But Davis would be a fantastic rotation option. And if you've got him as a rotation option there, perhaps he could even play some minutes as wing-back and that would be helpful in certain periods of the season too. There's definitely a place for Ben Davis at Spurs under Conte, uh, and that is really helpful. He's um, he's a great professional. Uh, he's never said a bad word about the club. Like always, comes across as incredibly level-headed and patient in his interviews. A uh, real team man. Um, and congratulations to him on his his business and economics degree. That he's it came out that he'd got. Um, oh yeah! Studying Open University modules alongside being professional footballer is is no
3: mean feat. So seriously, well done, well done, Ben. I mean I I I can't control the joy I have for Ben Davies. I've never <laughs> as the as the game has ended, I've never as I've walked down the stairs, got excited about a player coming over to clap the fans. It's just it's not me Wendy. I just don't do it. I'm just like well done, yeah. But Ben Davies came over and I was like a I was like a girl at I don't know at One Direction. I was <laughs> screaming ex- screaming Ben, it was so good. I'm, re- I have so much joy in my heart for Ben. Obviously, there's a question there. Fairlumbo asks: Is, um, is this version of Davies better than Prime Jan Vertonghen? Oh, no, s- settle down. <laughs> of course not. Of, you know, let's say let's, exactly. Let's all calm down and take a breath. But <laughs> it, it just brings me joy, and it's been a long time since, since I've spoken like this about Tottenham, and since any of us have, have spoken like we are to talking about Tottenham because there's a lot of happiness here, and there's a lot of smiling, a lot of joking in a good way, and, it, and that's... That's just good for Tottenham, and it's good yeah. for what it's good for our listeners, it's good for everybody. We're all happy. Ben Absolutely, Davis, thank you so
1: much. Absolutely, and and the thing is, when like Leandro Trossard breaks past him and he pulls his shirt from behind and gives away a penalty against Brighton, like that doesn't mean that he's terrible suddenly again. It just means that, <laughs> that he's happens. done a Ben Davis thing. Like this is just the level of player he is. Sometimes he's good. Most Stop of the time he's fine, stand. and and sometimes he will make a mistake, and that's just fine for the level he's at. It's it's, it's not a problem. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Brentford game. Um feels like a long time ago now, but uh, I really enjoyed the Brentford game. Not like we weren't playing thrilling football, but I felt, much like Nathan felt about Norwich, I felt very much like we were in control in the ascendancy for the majority of yeah. the game. Um, we didn't stop creating. We, we carried on creating. Not amazing chances, but good chances. The Son goal was delightful to watch. Yeah, really, really decent performance, I thought. Um, Skip got mad of the match Thought he was absolutely fantastic Against Brentford uh, And again says, against Norwich Yeah, I mean to be fair He was he was also very good against Norwich uh, Mackey says As someone who's admittedly Not seen much of Skip Before this season Are those marauding forward runs And dangerous through balls Something that have always been Part of his game Or a new thing under Conte Absolutely love the guy Yeah, I mean I think Everyone everyone loves Oliver Skip now, Bardi
3: And rightfully so He, he is a, a bombastic player Who does do those lovely sliding tackles. It, it, there's nothing better in life than seeing someone doing a sliding tackle and then as they slide and swing around Scooping they take the ball it. with them. Mm. And then they then they kind of slide into a standing motion and get rid of it. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's like Paolo Maldini YouTube compilations. It was <laughs> it was great. He he was lovely and um didn't we see a back kill from Harry Winks in the same game?
2: Yeah, that was Brentford. They did a, it was a back so s- skip back yeah. <laughs> it to Winks and Winks back killed it back to Skip on the on the return.
3: Glorious,
1: glorious. Nathan, are you are you impressed with Skippy?
2: Yes, yes. I definitely like. I I I had high hopes for him. Um, I probably didn't think he was uh-huh. as good as he's been the last couple of games. Really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, like, again, it's, it's Conte's ability to maximize the talent of his players and, and use structure and cohesion to, to, to get the best. Because I guess it's because, like, again, we, we watched the Skip a midfield under Nuno just not do anything at all. And so, like, frustration around the player comes when it should solely be or predominantly be about the system. But, like, I, I still think, like, <laughs> maybe it's not relevant. I still think, you know, you put Skip, into a team where he has to sort of invent moves on his own he's going to fail catastrophically but like it doesn't really matter i guess um i think to, to be at a stage where like skip is our consistent best player um suggests that there's room for us to improve right but i'm still really really impressed with skip really really pleased what's the answer to the question Wendy? because you you all know better than us obviously
1: uh the answer is that it's it's always been there i've, I've mentioned a few times in this podcast that um, although we've come to know Skip as a, a dedicated holding midfielder because that's the role he played at Norwich when he was on loan there last mm. season, very much like the holding midfielder in a three-man midfield, he was always much more box to box throughout his youth career. Has always had the potential to drive forward in the ball. Um, the move against Norwich where he he spotted like a bit of space and just absolutely burst into it, beat his man to the ball, um, and then played a forward. And he had a shot, didn't he? From the edge of the box, it was a, it was a weak shot to be fair. Um, but really, really imp- impressive run forward. Um, that's something I've seen him do before many times for the for the youth teams. And uh, not out of the ordinary at all for Skip. He's a he's a good all round player. Uh, you remember in pre season he played that ridiculous like half volleyed pinged pass from one side of the yeah. pitch to the other, like inch perfect execution. I think that just shows that he has a lot more expensive passing in his locker. There's so much more to come from him, but I, I think the the loan t- to Norwich was absolutely ideal because it gave him a grounding in in like the holding midfield position. It taught him to be tactically sensible and safe under a very good manager, and Daniel Farke. I mean, obviously he's lost his job now, but he's an extremely competent manager, Uh and it allowed Skip to see what it means to be part of a system, a very specific, well drilled system, and of course under Conte that is absolutely vital he's he's one part of a bigger machine but he does have the physical and technical capabilities to do more and i think we'll see more as he grows in confidence and you can see him growing in confidence by the match now as he kind of works out that yeah i absolutely deserve to be here on merit i'm not just like i hope for the future i'm i'm a player now I'm a, I'm a good player right now. And I'll be honest, I think Skip's had a good season across the season. I, I think like people were very critical of Skip at the beginning of the season, but I like strongly believe that was tactical and also yeah. N- Nuno's frustration with, with Skip and QB And I thought Skip was playing well. Like, Sure, a couple of tracked runners that could have been tracked better, uh, a few interceptions, tackles that, that could have been a bit better, but phew, he's been absolutely fine all season and now he's he's looking really good in my view. Um. Bardy, we haven't we haven't spoken about Huijie yet, and uh, it would be remiss not to give him some time. I thought he had a really good game against Norwich.
3: Uh, he did have a good game. He had one of his better performances. His passing was much better than usual. Um, yeah, he offered a, a little bit more. I still think he's a little bit. <sighs> Still think he goes missing in possession. I still think he needs to offer himself up more for passing. Um, he's still a bit. I think. I think maybe it's just the pointy shouty thing. But I still. I, I still think he's a cement mixer. He he does what he does. He does well. He's a very agricultural midfielder in my opinion. And he'll do what he'll do the basic stuff pretty good. Um, but I still think we need a little bit better there. But he did have a good game.
2: I I, I think he's good. <laughs> right. I've I've been impressed with him. But like um. <laughs> Right now, as we're recording, Dan, who goes by Voodoo Chopsticks, has just perfectly captured my frustration with Javier in in the Discord. He's posted this clip where he where Javier plays a bad pass. And then complains at his teammate for like, not yeah. magic that. That's the thing that, that I think annoys not just me, but other people with Javier is that like, he'll do the big pointy shouty thing, um, after he makes his own mistake. And that's frustrating. And that's where I wondered like, whether that were great with Conte, because obviously Conte wants like, you know, he likes the, the pointy and the shouty too. But if, if he sees a player being sort of like hypocritical or using that in the wrong way, whether that will like fire him off uh, in the other direction. Um, so he does still do that thing where he like, I don't know, he blames other people for his own mistakes, but he's outside of that he's 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 a good footballer um he has been along he he drifted at the end of last season who didn't but he was he was clearly physically tired and i think that's still at play now um i think he's a good player i i also maintain my position from before which is that we could go to a situation where we're playing only one of hoybia and skip and bring in a more creative player to to go alongside them so that's still where i'm at um but it's much, much, much less desperate. And now I see it as like a bit of a risk because now you're disrupting a working team. Um, but yeah.
1: I, I still think there's um, there's room for Hubert to become a rotation player rather than the starter. But I also think, I think he's good. I think he's a good player. And I think we'll see more from him as, um, as Conte establishes his system. I, I think... So he, I think I get what Bardi's saying. I think he looks a bit sort of clumsy and awkward because physically he's a bit clumsy and awkward. He's not very <laughs> supple, is he? He's not. Yeah. He doesn't move that elegantly with the ball. But I think he's a tactically very astute player, and obviously he's very experienced. He's he's played under um, Pep Guardiola, uh, who liked him a lot. Um, and, and you need those kind of players, and you need like a pointy shouty tactically astute man in the team is, is not unhelpful to have that. I think it's not like he's, um he's, um I don't know. I'm trying to think of a pointy shouty player who hasn't got that kind of football knowledge and football brain.
3: <laughs> Stefan Freund. Yes.
1: Yeah, he's not Stefan Freund. He's, he's a level. He's an absolute level above yeah. that. He's a competent player. Um, and I, I like, I, I do like that he pops up with goals as well. We don't, we haven't had many goal scoring midfielders in the last few years. And that's always very helpful uh so i'm I'm very open to him sort of making his occasional break into the box and, and popping up with the goal too.
3: What I would like is for Lo Celso to step up and be in replace Joyberg. I would, yes. That's what I would like. In an ideal world, have skip and then have Lo Celso, who theoretically is a bet, better passer, has more vision and offers himself for the pass a bit more, and he's still got the industry and the tenacity. That's what I'd like Lascello to step up, but at the moment that's not happening. So I'm I'm not against Schubert should continue to play and continue to start, but he needs to be upgraded.
1: Buddy, that is a perfect segue. Um, so Conte gave away some really interesting information in the pre Norwich press conference. Uh one of the little snippets that he gave away was that he seems to view Giovanni Celso as an attacking midfielder. He said, For me, with this system we're playing, we've two number 10s, but for me, they're two strikers. We're playing with a number 9 that's Kane as a point of reference, then two players very offensive, like Sonny and Lucas in the starting 11, because behind we have Bergwijn, Deli Alli, Lucelso, and Brian Hill. Interesting to me that he listed Lucelso in that list of players he would expect to be playing in the two behind. Kane and and not as a a central midfield option I mean that could of course change as time goes on as he gets to know the players a bit more or it could change if we switch to a 3-5-2 but I thought Nathan that was really interesting
2: he also spoke positively about Bugvine, and this just just sort of generally suggested about quality in the squads at the same time like he's 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 not rotated much again you expressed your frustrations earlier and um like we have now the end game coming up and, and it's curious how things, but uh, so the actions aren't, aren't perfectly matching, but in terms of what he's saying, and maybe he's just saying, you know, keep market value up. He's suggesting that, you know, <laughs> he's, he's happy with a lot of his players. Um, yeah, Lascelles was. Yeah, I mean, I get. It's like um. So he spoke about how like um when he was a pundit, he spoke about how like Kane should only ever be in the box, right? And that has <laughs> yeah. been like the opposite of the reality so far. So like when he says this player is this, um, I don't think he is glued to that. I don't think that's necessarily how things materialize. That's just like a concept he's he's kind of throwing out there. It's like right now, I'm kind of because th- obviously English isn't his first language, but it's like right now, I'm kind of like vibing with the idea of like the <laughs> as an attacking midfielder. Whereas, like, that doesn't mean like I would never play the Celso in any other role. So, um, and the same with saying like Bergvine as a striker an alternate to like not playing sun up top, but maybe Bergwijn could play that role. And then also saying, I can't rescue him. That's maybe that's a little damning in combination. Um see so yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, the, the thing with this is that like um the January window opens and then closes pretty soon. And um he's so apparently the, the reporting is that he has told Spurs he needs, essentially until the beginning of the window opening to assess his squad and i feel like he needs to do a lot of experimenting i mean obviously there's a lot he'll tell from training but he kind of needs to do a lot um, of experimenting between now and then to get like really strong ideas i mean frankly i don't think it's long enough frankly i think he needs until the summer Mm -hmm. before he writes off any players um but i'm still not like if if we get to january and like we just sell and dombley um i will be like that's a shame but I won't like be devastated. I'll 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 be more understanding that it's just not a fit, and 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 move on. Um. So yeah, I don't know. It's all very much up in the air. I I just I hope that we see some move towards you know one of those four players <laughs> getting pitch time in the near future. Five oh, we,
1: we, there will have to be pitch time over the next month. There has to be there, there are yeah, too many I mean... games.
2: Not just like they all get lumped in together at, against Ren and then we don't see them again ever. <laughs> like I mean, like being rotated into the first eleven against Premier League sides yeah, yeah. with with competent players around them, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, the other snippet was that he he specifically mentions that he sees Joe Rodent as Dyer's deputy.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, he said. Uh, for in my in the characteristic in my idea, I see Joe behind Eric Dyer in the central position. For sure, this position is a singular position. If you're a central defender on the right or the left, you can have more options to play. To stay behind the central defender, you only have one option. But Joe is a player who has showed me really, really great commitment, a will and desire to learn and improve himself. And I think that was meant to be a
3: compliment. He was kind of saying, it's "Not a compliment at all." Really, I, I thought He's it, completely buried him. No, I if thought he you're was a saying, central
2: defender on the right or the left. You can have more options to play. To stay yeah. behind the central defender, you have only one option. But Joe is a player who.
1: Like mm. I'm, I think he's saying, I I see him as only the central defender and so okay. that's why he's not played because dyer's played okay. every
2: game because he can't because he can't swap in for davidson or davies or yeah. tanganga he has to wait until dyer is rested and dyer can play all of the time Okay, yeah. okay, okay that makes sense that's, it's interesting that's he I sees think. him that way um i don't know i mean the the, the positive way of looking at it is that is like Roden has quality on the ball we didn't see mm-hmm. that in the one game that he's played in that role um but like that's also kind of why dyer is playing a lot of that role is because he has ability on the ball so he's seeing him that way but it's like that's not a reason to not play him in one of the wide positions right <laughs> so um maybe maybe that is just like focus of role it's like i want you to i want mm-hmm. you to be dedicated to playing this role and therefore you're not getting pitch time you know over Davinson or tanganga but um i don't know that seems a little fishy <laughs> on, on on my behalf um, so I'm trying to work out like I'm trying to think why he wouldn't want him to play wide, other than sort of singular focus. Um, but I, 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 I do think that Roden is very capable on the ball. Um, I do think that the role so- suits him for that reason. Um, but I mean, also the comment where he says like he showed me really good commitment is part of this trend where it's like Davinson has an absolute stinker against um Mura, but then he's straight back in the eleven, right? Um, Doherty, okay, uh, he goes, oh, I'm not sure about starting him against this game. He hasn't played well. But Then he still gets to come off the bench when the, the replacement idea isn't happening. It's like, you can have a bad game, you can make a mistake, but you're still going to continue to get chances because like, I don't know, cause you're working with a larger sample apart from anything else. It's not about mm. fairness. It's not about being kind and sweet to everybody. It's like maximizing your learning and maximizing the talents that are available. So... um. That's a kind of a curious situation, the quotes about Sherrodin, but the idea that like you can have a bad game and then still continue to get to play that role later on is, is really positive, really good.
1: Yeah, I I do think also we need to bear in mind that it's still like such early days for the content. It's it's a month in and also within that month we've been playing two games a week and there's been an international break so he's not seen a lot of these players. Rodan would have been away for the whole international break so he he hasn't. He'd have seen like a handful of training sessions of him really in reality that aren't recovery sessions so things will change a lot over the coming months um, and you know it wouldn't be a shock to see Rodan become a, a more prominent a member of the squad over the coming months. Equally, it wouldn't be a huge shock if he left in January. I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible.
2: I wonder if he sees, uh, (laughs) to to use the uh, controversial language, I wonder if he sees Rosen as a cat and he wants his his outside centre-backs to be dogs. I wonder if that is what's going on. I think that's partly it, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, particularly on the right side. So Sanchez was very much the Mm. tackly defender against Norwich. Like he was the one making all the proactive, aggressive tackles,
2: whereas Dyer was that Well I also see Davinson as as more of a cat type, but maybe he says, you know, this player can adapt to being front footed whereas Roden can't. Well
1: well also he's just so bad in the ball. Like he Sanchez can't play the cat role because he's terrible in possession. So he has to play the dog roll.
2: Sure. Well, yeah, where that matches up in this particular system, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff Fieldsend has has made a nice observation, which is that the the shape that Conte is using at the moment, the 343, is very similar to the traditional WM formation, the 3-2-2-3, mm-hmm. um, which I, I hadn't considered. But when you... I mean, you should Google... The WM formation is one of the sort of traditional old football formations from, what was it, like 1910 Bardi, something like that?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Spurs were kind of at the forefront of it between um, Peter McMillan and Arthur Rowe that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it can be that. It's interesting because, you know, everything new in football has already been done. And... Uh, It's strange that we've. um, It's a very British formation, and it's been and now kind of Conte is using a style of it. Um, Yeah, it is interesting. I think we need to see a little bit more of it go forward. But it is a. If people should go back and read about England versus Hungary in uh, '53, I think when the Hungarians turned up and destroyed um, England at Wembley by playing a back four against England's WM formation, there's been some great writers on it. Jonathan Wilson, the rest of them. But yeah, it is interesting. It does show that football does, it does um, always come back. Uh,
1: Bubi The Fool says, mainly for Nathan, would you rather witness Tottenham losing at the death to Arsenal in an FA Cup final, where it's the last time we would see Son, Kane, Lloris and Conte all together because of contract things and timing, or be one of the lucky few chosen to adventure to space with Jeff Bezos and be forced to wear a cowboy hat with him and take a photo with him and all that good stuff?
2: Um, I have an answer to this question. I consider it to be an incredibly easy and obvious answer, but I don't think that I should say it on this podcast. I will say it on the next uh, X subs only. I will give my answer then, <laughs> safer behind the panel, <laughs> in case that isn't obvious. <laughs> what I'm suggesting. Nice, nice. Uh,
1: James Sandiford. i mean, gone, buddy. But
3: wait, wait. I'd go to. I'd rather go to space. No, it's not. That's
2: you. why it's not for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, James Sullivan uh, who actually wrote this from, from Maribor post match, so so oh, wow. well done James for, for going out there um, my question to you and the panel which players simply do not deserve any more minutes for Spurs so we're talking about not giving them a chance anymore because even if they do well for a half or as a sub they will only end up humiliating us in a follow up game and the cycle <laughs> goes on I think we're at that stage now with a few players. It's sad to say, but uh, it's time to take emotion out of this and be ruthless. This is what Antonio Conte is here for. I will give an example, and it's Davinson Sanchez. He's one of those players I just think shouldn't play for Spurs anymore. No more minutes. Watching him live, you can see how visibly shaken he is when faced with a 1v1. He's panicked and makes glaring errors as a result. As above, I of course want him to overcome this sheer panic, but emotion aside, he just shouldn't play for Spurs anymore.
3: Mm, I, don't know um, I don't know if he shakes with panic in a 1v1. I think it's so bad in a 1v1. I think it's sometimes when he's pressed and he's got the ball tight in the corner. That's where he panics. Uh, I mean, it's strange. Last week I was in such a bad mood that I was just like none of them should ever be given another opportunity. But now we are seeing something from Winks. We're seeing a hell of a lot from Davies. Sanchez has played a little bit better. So... At the moment, we can't get rid of them. So the only thing we can do is put a little bit of faith in them and hope Conte can squeeze some juice out of them.
1: Nathan, any players that you would cut off the oxygen supply of? That was a very bad
2: sentence. Apologies. Um I mean, I'm kind of there when Devonson. The thing with this question is that like we should not play them like we shouldn't dare risk them seeing the grass, and it's like well, at the moment, like you kind of you kind of have to like Davison and Doherty, those are two players that I would immediately be open to offers. Um, for in the window, but the thing is that we have to replace them, right? We have to replace them kind of before they go. So it's difficult. Yes, I don't I don't think that Davinson is gonna get much better for Spurs. He could get a little better as he gets more and more used to the system. I don't think Doherty is gonna get much better for Spurs. He could get a little better. Um I'm at a stage with them where I'm like, I'm ready for you to go. But I don't think there's a... like if Doherty is the worst player in the squads, which I think is reasonable, he still is doing a better job than Tanganga as the deputy right wing back at the moment, yeah? So I just I just don't think there is a player that is like, we mustn't see them. Like, they might as well fill minutes in the time being. I don't think there's anyone. I can't think... Galini? Uh, yeah, the, the thing with Galini is that, like, you can just play Reese every match until he gets injured, right? I think Lloris can just play twice a week and that's okay. So maybe that's the case for Galini. But Galini isn't worse than Doherty. He's just in a less important role than Doherty. <laughs>
1: interesting and yeah.
2: galini will get more time right because galini's only just arrived at the club and so we'll we'll drag him along for another year. well i guess he, we? oh, he's, he's on loan yeah 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 he'll okay. see the loan out and then and then he'll go i think so i think so
1: uh final question this is from an anonymous uh emailer but we'll call him ben i'm almost completely placid watching a game chatter breaks my concentration as pathetic as it may be i just don't want anything to disrupt me during those glorious or not so glorious 90 minutes if a game feels big or is a particular or is particularly tense i will naturally be more agitated maybe have the occasional outburst or whatever but for whatever reason i have a tendency just to sit there whilst watching a game of spurs It does wail me that this lack of a show of passion or engagement may be annoying to who I watch it with, him wanting more of a discussion, but it's just not the way I watch it. On the other hand, the family member who I watch with uses Spurs as his chance to vent, and vent he does. Swearing, hitting the sofa... Being generally negative, and I really dislike it. <laughs> I just don't have that in me, and I want and I want to watch, to watch every game with someone so opposite to me in their Spurs watching behavior is quite uncomfortable. Due to who he is to me, I find I can't really say anything, but it does make that ninety minute oasis far from ideal for the sensitive little flower I clearly am. <laughs> uh, any any kind of observations on on that email from from Ben buddy?
3: Um Well. Because of what's happening at the moment in the world, the, um, the situation in the stadium is it's always different. There's always different people next to you. And um, so you can't really, can't really get used to it. And what I found really annoying is people that constantly commentate throughout the game. <laughs> yeah. You, you, it's just like they're, they're almost doing a podcast throughout the game. They love talking. the sound of their own voice. They love the sound of their own voice. They lo- I mean, we all Imagine takes,
2: podcasting
3: despicable but yeah but podcast you could could choose not to listen to it you could just turn it off this i can't turn it off so they're the the two chaps that never came back after half time thankfully they um they did talk throughout the game and it was quite annoying to me um i'm one of those that it depends sometimes i'll find myself just detached from the game i'll be watching it and i'll just zone everything out and I'll, i'll be quite placid other times depending on how much neck oil i've had i'll be a little bit more kind of aggy but i'm not one of these that will sit at home Bang the sofa and vent. I'm not kind. Of, I'm not that kind of person. Um, I, st- I tend to watch the game mostly in silence or having making comments here and there. To be honest, I'm, I'm quite a decent person to watch with, unlike some other people that are in the fighting cock Wendy, that you've had experience watching games with. I'm I'm not really. Yeah, I, d- I don't get all too sweary and shouty during a match.
1: Nathan, how about you? What's your uh your ideal watching situation.
2: I mean, when I'm at home on my own, I tend to be more like Ben and, and Placid and just focusing and thinking. And then if I'm at the stadium, I'm more likely to be to, like screaming and singing and jumping mm-hmm. up and down because that's just the atmosphere that you're in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Ben's in a tricky situation. I think, um, but I do think that he needs to do something, right? I don't think that he should just put up with a difficult situation where he's not enjoying watching Spurs because of who he's watching it with and their behaviour. So whether that is talking to them or just going away and watching Spurs separately or doing something, I don't think... I don't recommend he just sits with the situation as it is um and, and needs to sort of think about what his options are. Um Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not... <laughs> I've never hit anything in anger. I think that that is frankly quite weird um but uh i don't know just because it's not for me doesn't mean that like it's an invalid way of like experiencing spurs but if it's grating on you if they've got two different people whose styles of, of watching the game are making the other person you know unhappy or ruining their experience of watching spurs then uh then then do address it whether that is talking to them or just, yeah. yeah
1: you're, you're right I mean, by the time it's got to the point where you are anonymously emailing a podcast um <laughs> to, to vent about it it's clearly upsetting you quite a lot um and that's not night, nice. it's like, this is something you're meant to look forward to once or twice a week, and if it's being ruined by your um, your watching partner, that's just not ideal, so I think, Ben, you're going to have to address it, you're going to have to do something about it, and one thing I'd say <laughs> I is like... Been-
3: Try. Imagine they're like married couple and then what's the grounds for divorce um my my husband is an idiot watching football
1: <laughs> i i think the thing to try first is to to join in with the the show of of regression <laughs> no. like give it a go see how it makes Can't you feel see, see like just see what happens just do that for one game and and see see how it works out um, and if it's really not for you, you you're gonna have to say that like, I can't just, I can't deal with the, I can't deal with the anger I can't deal with the, the venting because it's gonna upset you more
2: and more as time goes on. Or just so, like go and watch Spurs in a different room and pretend that you don't yeah, like watching Spurs anymore. I don't know or something.
1: No, or, but that's or really no, that's like yeah, so passive aggressive and mean spirited, isn't it? Okay, I don't think.
3: My my dad and my my wife they very rarely watch football together. But occasionally there's there's the Euros or the World Cup or something, and they end up in the same room together. And my dad can't watch football with my wife because she just she just she doesn't like football. But she gets so excited when the ball goes near the net. And my dad is one of these people that's really nervous watching football. And they they just don't go hand in hand. So the only way to do that is separate the two of them, <laughs> separate rooms, separate rooms, or at least different ends of the table. I kind
1: of like um I kind of like us taking on this agony uncle aspects <laughs> um, mm. that, was, that was nice um, so so last episode we said we were going to to be open to platforming the views of, of Jewish fans and the issue of the Y word and um, we got lots and lots of correspondence about it on Twitter, by email Discord uh, and a couple of people have sent in voice notes so what you'll hear now are a couple of voice notes from some of our listeners with their thoughts on,
2: on the Y word <laughs> We have three voice notes
0: to share with you. The first is from Joel. Hello, lads. Um, just to say thank you for, I guess, um, starting a dialogue around this. Um, it's a, obviously a very important issue. Um, kind of the main point that I wanted to make is um, if the uh, 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 the defence that is um, used by Spurs fans who use the word too often is that they are showing solidarity with the Jewish community by using, uh, the Y word. And that's sort of their kind of defense as doing it. And I, I actually find that, I find that it's quite an odd defense. Cause I think if you said to any other minority community, um, I'm going to show solidarity with you by referring to myself as the word that people use to, um, you know, use to slur you, um, you'd be laughed out of the building. And, and actually the way that you show solidarity with the Jewish community is by not using the word and calling people out who do. Um, I, oh God, I could go on, you know, I could, I could go on forever about why I think, you know, sorry. And, and the other point that I wanted to, to, um, make is that, um, we, you know, Spurs fans can't, we can't do anything about, we are seen as the Jewish team. Um, and we can't, you know, we, and I, I, I like that, but we can't do anything about West Ham fans, you know, singing anti-Semitic chants or Chelsea singing anti-Semitic chants. You know, that's for Chelsea to sort out and for West Ham to sort out. All we can do is, you know, get our own house in order, and that sort of starts by removing the the Y word, I think, as well. Um, too often, the opinion of either. Non, too often the opinion of Jewish, uh, non-football fans and, or, or Jewish football fans who aren't Spurs fans is, is overlooked. And actually their opinion in this is, is far more, um, valid and carries far more greater weight than that of someone who is just a Spurs fan, because actually it is a, a word that has, you know, hugely negative connotations. For, um, for Jews and therefore you know to just say oh you can't you know it often gets thrown at David Badil, doesn't it you know you, why are you weighing in on this you're a Chelsea fan when actually you know first and foremost David Badil is a Jew so I think that is something uh, that needs to be taken into account much more is the opinion of Jews who aren't necessarily associated with Spurs um, oh, with regards to anti-Semitism and, and Spurs you could you could write a book on it couldn't you but it's I always do think it is funny that Spurs are sort of... We are the most hated team in London, and I do think a lot of that um, is to do with anti-Semitism. And, um, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why that is, but that that just does seem to be the case, doesn't it? Um, Anyway, so those those are my two pennies worth. Um, Happy to chat more. Um, Thank you. (laughs) The second voice note is
2: from Daniel.
4: Hello, boys and fellow listeners. I'm a Jewish Spurs fan from America and want to provide some feedback on last week's letter and commentary regarding the Y word. I've supported Spurs for a bit over 10 years, not because of the historical Jewish association, but that was a nice perk. The Y word is not quite as prevalent in the US as a slur, we of course have our own, but I've never quite loved that it's been in use by our fan base. The reclaiming thing I recognize, though may not agree, and I guess I had made somewhat uneasy peace with it, but the world and how we all should think about it has been changing over the last few years. Contrary to Kronkast, I really share my Jewish heritage with those I don't know or trust. I want people to know me without any preconceived notions of what or who I am as a Jew, and the stereotypes do exist in the real world. And the growth of more vocal and actioned anti-Semitism hasn't made that any less frequent of a stance. Defining Jewish can be somewhat challenging at times, as it is a religion, a culture, and ethnic heritage. I happen to be all three, so the dialogue is very personal to me. Others may have a Jewish parent or grandparent and say they are Jewish. It's not wrong, but if that's the only connection to being Jewish, there may not be the same level of attachment. For example, my grandfather is a first-generation American from Italian parents, but Barty and I don't quite identify with Italy and Italian culture in the same way. Any Jewish Spurs fan that want to keep the Y word alive to reclaim it, that's up to them. I can't tell another Jew how they should feel about that word or any other equivalent Jewish slur. I would be interested to know how many fans that are religiously or culturally Jewish wish to reclaim it. Any non-Jewish supporter that uses the word doesn't fundamentally understand what a Jewish hate word means. So it's not up to them to say whether it can be used. So it shouldn't. I can't. Don't and won't tell a black person how to feel about the words used about them because it's not my place. The word or words aren't about me. So why would a non-Jewish supporter think they can tell me why it's okay for them to use a word about me? Anything that breathes life into hate should be killed. We have enough anti-Semitism in the world, and even somewhat well-intentioned reclaiming efforts aren't helping the problem. I know you are a football podcast, and you aren't out to save the world on your own but I've always appreciated the social positions you espouse and that you dedicate time on your podcast to spread those views. So I wanted to thank you for giving time and a voice to my culture and people, our struggle, and what that word means, and maybe allowing that to influence the way others think about both us and its place in Spurs fans' vernacular. Love the pod. Thank you again. And of course, come on, you Spurs.
2: And our final voice note to share with you on this episode is from Nick. On it, Nick utilizes his right as a Jewish man to speak aloud uh, some anti-Jewish slurs, which we have decided to leave uncensored.
5: I've never felt the need to email a podcaster before, but I wanted to take a second to send an email to thank you for reading the email from the other Jewish supporter at the end of your most recent episode. Uh, It really means a lot to me that the three of you are taking time to highlight the issue uh, more than you'll probably ever actually understand. Um, As it turns out, I actually have a whole lot to say on the subject. Um, And my drafts of this email kept getting really, really long. Um, But I did want to make a couple of points um, that I felt were important. Uh, Point number one. everyone should read Jews Don't Count by David Baddiel. Um, it's being read by most of the liberal Jews that I know and pretty much no one else and that backwards. It really isn't for us. It's for you. Um, I'm really glad I read it. Uh, it, it actually um, it, only, it it made me cry at one point because it articulated thoughts and feelings that I've had my whole life about being a Jew that no one really has ever expressed uh, in mainstream media before. Um, it also comes to conclusions that I kind of disagree with sometimes, um, even though they're coming from those shared experiences. But I think that sort of friction is both good and inevitable. Um, there's a an old kind of cliched saying that uh, when you get together two Jews on a subject, you're going to have three opinions. So I, I, I do hope everybody um, does read it. Um the second point about the Y word, um, the Y word is actually part of the reason why I'm a Spurs supporter now. Um, and I think that while we need to engage with how supporters celebrate their Jew- the Jewish heritage of the club, I do sort of think it would be a shame to lose it entirely. Um, really briefly, the three reasons why I support Spurs um, instead of probably Liverpool, uh, when I started watching football in 2011, are in kind of this order. Luka Modric, uh, The Jewish Connection, and the, the podcasts like The Fighting Cock um, made it really easy to be a Spurs supporter. Um, all of that said, uh, in America, uh, Yid isn't really a slip. Um It's not really used at all by anybody, positively or negatively. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to bleep this next bit, uh, but things like "heeb" or Kike, um, those get used and are really offensive. Uh, if any of them were, if either of them were being shouted at Tottenham matches, I would really not be okay with it, regardless of the intent. Um, honestly, even if people were just shouting Jew, I would not be okay with it. Like, at all, not not even a little bit. So. I'm kind of conflicted, and that's probably okay. Um, I do wonder uh, slash worry uh, about a lot of the abuse that's being heaped on Levy, um, that it might be coming from an anti-Semitic place. Um, And I don't know if I'm being overly sensitive. Um, I mean, yeah, I do. I am. But I'm also maybe not wrong. Um, It might just be unconscious bias because of who Levy is. Um, I also worry that people will dismiss what Badil has to say because he's a Chelsea supporter. and I've actually seen this happening in like Spurs Facebook groups and Reddit and stuff um, in response to the athletic article on the Y word which was excellent and also should be read um, by everybody listening to this podcast Um, and what Padil has to say shouldn't be dismissed just because of who he is Um, so it is something that we fans need to grapple with a little bit um, especially because it comes from a place of good intention the best intentions that hurt still hurt and it It is really exhausting that only Jewish fans ever talk about it. So thank you. I really, really mean it. Um, This was still far too long, and reading it out loud, I I realize even how much longer it really is. Um, And this was the short version. So I really appreciate you reading it. Um, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to highlight this topic. It, It means a lot.
1: If you've heard either of these voice notes or the email on the last podcast, and as a Jewish Spurs fan, you want to share your thoughts. You're very welcome to send a voice note through to podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud, e Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and
3: review. That would really help.